This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Argyle ended a run of three consecutive away championship defeats with a one-all draw against Hull City. Adam Randall initially tasted the delights of the MKM Stadium, but it was Jaden Philogene who took the biscuit as Argyle's defence momentarily crumbled to allow Regan Slater to bite back. After the Tigers came the Lions and Argyle fell to a 2-0 defeat to keep Gary Rowett in employment for yet another day. Here to break down Hull and walk us through Millwall is birthday boy Dan Ellard. How's things? Yeah, very good, thanks. Cake was lovely. Did you, did you get up to much apart from ironing? Oh, it's been, it's been all wild. Um, Travelling back from, from uh, Scotland, so yeah, it, it, as birthdays go, you know, that is, that is right up there. And you weren't passed by Ryan Hardy on the way down, as he's not been included in the latest Scotland squad, but I don't think we'll have time to talk about that tonight. John Alsop, no no intro for you. How's things? Good. Thank you, Aaron. Yes. Good. And lastly, a man who you may recognise from TV shows such as the ITV West Country News, Sam Down. How are you feeling today? I am feeling very, very tired, uh, very throaty. Legs feel like they're about to come off. Um, very, yeah. Completely drained physically, emotionally, mentally, all of it. But um, yeah, ready, ready to go, ready to record. So there's not much change there. <laughs> yeah, I do apologise to any listeners if I sound a little flat. Um, yesterday, walking, um, walking as many miles as I did will take it out of you. Yeah, whilst we've got you in, Sam, can you remind people why you decided to walk uh, the 26 miles from Foy to Home Park? Yes, um, although I should give full, completely full disclosure to avoid representation that I did have a little bit of a medical, uh, very minor medical incident, so you know, no one listens to panic um, part of the way through and did have to retire. But um, briefly, I, I rejoined at the end. But anyway, the um, walk was in, was well, it was initially to uh, support our, our great friend, as I'm sure many of you have heard, Ian Bomber-Harris, who sadly died um, on Saturday night. It, the... Um, as again, I'm sure many of you would have seen his story all over social media. If you've not, just have a look on Facebook um, under the March for Bomber page or 
um, on the uh, on the Just Giving page link to it. We'll give a, a further detail. But cut a long story short, Bomber was was um, sadly diagnosed with with bowel cancer in December after being misdiagnosed um, many times. Um, we we were hoping that we'd be able to raise some funds for him to get some specialist treatment in Germany, uh, but unfortunately. Um, it was too late and then he did pass away on Saturday night. We'd obviously already raised a, a great amount of money and we absolutely wanted to to push on and, and do the walk in his honour, in his memory um, and, and to celebrate his life. And I think we absolutely uh, did do that. Um, and, and the money that's raised will will go to a good cause. We'll go to help other people. We're yet to work out the, the exact details on that. But rest assured, anyone who's donated it will, it will absolutely be going towards uh, helping people in similar situations. Um, yeah, we we so we decided in his honour that we were going to do a twenty six mile walk from Foy, which is in Cornwall, deepest dark of Cornwall. If any of you don't know it, through Cornwall to Tor Point, across the Tor Point ferry, and then from the Devonport ferry uh, terminus up to Home Park. And yeah, we we did it. I I had I had to have about um, five miles in support truck as I was um, very badly struggling for for part of it. But um, yeah, um, you know I. I did the first 16 miles and, and the last two and a half or so. Happy with how I did, um, despite the uh, despite the brief retirement in the middle. Um, but yeah, and and you know the the other lads did uh, did the whole way. So, so full credit to them for that. Um, absolutely fantastic effort by everybody. Uh, we were all very emotional, and um, as we were to hear the minutes applause in the 44th minute for Bomber. Um, uh, again, I think that was just a incredibly touching moment it showed what what kind of guy he was that he meant so much to so many people and um yeah yesterday was a very very tough day tough tough mentally tough physically as well really really took it out of me as, a, as you can probably hear I'm a little bit flat a little bit less uh, enthusiastic than compared to what I normally am so again I do apologize if my analysis is a little bit uh weary and, and undetailed today but uh I'll do my very best and yeah we, we certainly did a good thing yesterday yeah, and I'd just like to finish up there with just saying that everybody associated with Vargo Life, sending their thoughts and love, go to his, his wife, his family and all his friends. Um, and like the recent pods, I'll leave a link in the description if anybody wants to read more about Bomber's story and if they want to donate to the fundraiser. Um, shall we cover Hull first? Start with a game with a few more positives. John doing the, the famous Joe Bell mauling uh, symbol. Um, hand action more than a symbol, I suppose. Uh, why don't you run us through this one, John? Yeah, I think a better had because uh, Sam was a little the worse for wear for the uh, duration of of Holloway uh, would be my assessment. Um, uh, uh, come on, I think that's a bit that's a little slanderous. <laughs> uh, see, I'll see, I'll see you in court. That's the uh, pub at the top of Tottenham Court Road. True story, it actually is. Uh, went to university near there. Anyway, I digress. Holloway, um, a long trip. Um, one living in London that I didn't necessarily feel I uh, think I would be able to make because of the train strikes that day, but whole trains were running. Uh, so myself and a certain podcast host who. Uh, took advantage of my generous hospitality uh, in London on Friday night, decided to make the trip up by train. Um, and yeah, the game itself um, was thankfully worth travelling for. Not a classic in terms of entertainment by any means, but uh, not a bad game either. And a really good result, obviously, our, our second point on the road this season. And against a team who, you know, I think while they've only won home, won one home game this season, have only, uh, sorry, have lost none. So, so yes, clearly draw specialists at, at home. But uh, a team overall that seemed to be very highly rated by the uh, EFL 
punditocracy. And I think there were spells in the game where, where you could see why that was the case. But I thought we, we weren't there and acquitted ourselves well. I think obviously we've spoken a lot in general, but particularly away from home about how important it is to not concede early goals. Obviously in our previous um, three away games, we conceded goals in the first 10 minutes or substantially earlier in a couple of them. Uh, and, and obviously that we, we've talked on this pod before about how that sort of changed our whole game plan um, psychologically, if not tactically. So to go there and sort of ride out the first 10, 15, 20 minutes was a relief. And then obviously we took the lead with with a really good goal, um, great quick feet from Mumba uh, in the box and sort of bundled out to Randall at the back post by the keeper. I think maybe he could have done a bit better. Uh, but Randall showed great composed, composure Sorry to, to tuck it away. Um, a finish that I felt... In real time, in the ground we were at the other end looked like, if not a tap-in, then what you'd expect him to score. But I think the replay actually makes it look like one where you know, there's a couple of defenders sliding in, the angle is maybe not completely straight onto the goal. So yeah, it would have been probably a bad miss if he had missed, but uh, maybe not the easiest finish. He had to just you know, steady himself, compose himself and, and slot in. And great to see him from midfield getting up into that sort of position to to follow in a, a saved shot and and score at the back post. So that was very encouraging. And then obviously tried to go into half time with the lead, uh, looked fairly comfortable in that endeavour. And then right at the end of the first half, a, a ball, which I think Gillespie misjudged down the um, whole right hand side. Gillespie then tried to shepherd it out of play. In fairness to him, although it was an error from him, uh, it took a wicked bounce where it looked like it was about to bounce out and sort of spun Back in, he then sort of dangled the leg pretty lethargically at the ball. And I believe it was Philogene for, for Hull, possibly, who was uh, closing him down, got on it, got into the box, squared it across, and uh, the uh, Australia Bondi Beach Surfing Champion 2012, Regan Slater, was on hand to uh, slot home um, with, with a tap-in of his own. Um and from then on, it was it was anyone's game in the second half. You know, I felt that we didn't exactly sort of retreat into our shell. You know, we became forward without creating an, an awful number of really clear cut chances, but we showed some some good positive intent. Um, likewise, Hull had a few moves that didn't really come to much. Sort of felt until about the ninety minute mark in the game, it looked like it was sort of petering out into a draw that we'd all have taken, and possibly that you know we could have nicked it. But then it added time. They've had two in particular, really, really good chances that Connor Hazard has just pulled off exceptional saves to to keep out. One where you'd probably expect him to save it one way or another, but it's a shot flashing towards the top corner and he dived and got a really good contact on it to push it comfortably over the bar. And then the second um, from a cross, good cross into the box, their player, defender, I think, got goal side, sort of bundled it goalwards, diving with his chest, I think, and Hazard has thrust out a leg and turned it around the post. It's a really, really fine save. Fantastic reactions, made himself big. Um, and that has sealed uh, a point for us, uh, a very good point, again, away from home against the side who, you know, I, while I probably personally don't think they'll be quite up there in the, in the playoff zone coming into the season, might well be in the hunt for a playoff place till pretty late in the season. And yeah, nice, nice to come away with a share of the spoils. And particularly on a personal note, as I mentioned, I think on the preview pod, a very good friend of mine from university is a Hull fan. Uh, as is the case for Bristol City as well. So suffering back-to-back defeats uh, against those two would have been bad for my personal bragging rights. But um, ever since I met this guy over 10 years ago, it's been a dream of mine to be able to go to the, uh, whatever it's called, stadium now. MKM, is it now? It's been the KCOM and and, uh, and, and various things over the years. Um, 
and be able to sing you're getting mauled by the pilgrims while doing the wee hands gesture uh, and we did we did that and it was great yeah there's been a bit of confusion online because people have uh put tweets out saying that we sang getting mauled by the argyle when i was singing getting mauled by the janners i have a video of this actually and um about half the people doing it are singing pilgrims and half are singing argyle so it sounds like plargyle well i uh, sang janners so we all got it wrong i think there was a separate janners where everyone was more on the same page of the, the hymnal for that one but um good fun nonetheless still the best chant i think argyle fans have ever come up with sam anything to add on our trip to hull not really, in all honesty. Um, I think the first half hour we were we were definitely the better team. I think the second half hour was was very mixed. Um, they they were starting to get on top of us. We we made the formation change, which to be fair did swing it a little bit back in our favour. And, and then the last fifteen minutes, certainly the stoppage time, they were they were totally dominant. Um, I think a draw was probably just about a fair result. Um, they aged it, but I think the draw was just about a fair result. Obviously, we could have gone 2-0 up, Finizaz was one-on-one, and the shot just, you know, painstakingly just went the wrong side, just clipped the post on the clipped the post on the wrong side of the post, if you like. It clipped the post and rolled across rather than clipped the post and rolled in. So, um, yeah, that was just the point. That would have put us 2-0 up, and, you know, from 2-0 up, it's, you know, obviously, there's always exceptions, but the majority of teams win games from 2-0 up, don't they? So, um for all the talk of it being the most dangerous score in football, obviously, you know, if you won the lap, you always want to score a second. You don't want to, you know, keep it at 1-0, do you? So that would have been a great advantage not to be. Uh, and then, obviously, Hull had their spell. We got a bit of control back. And then they had, obviously, their, their really dangerous spell at the end. That hasn't saved. I'm I'm seeing it described as, like, two amazing saves. I don't quite know if I go back, but I think the first one you would be you probably call it a mistake if he doesn't save. But that latter one, having seen it back, the one with his feet is a, it is an incredible save. That one is not a save you would expect him to make at all. Uh, and and full credit to him that he does. So um yeah, um overall I think a draw about fair and we can certainly be very um content with how we did away to a, a side who have started better than most of the sides of the league. I um I completely forgot to mention the Azaz hitting the post in my recap. So yes, that is a thing that happened. Uh, and I should take back my previous commentary about Sam's state during the game, given that he clearly remembered to mention that. Well, going going back to the, the to, to what I said about the start about about the group of us on the banana bus. If the banana bus have taught me one thing, it's how to handle my drink pretty well. So uh, I can be in a pretty bad state and still remember much of what happens, John. Don't worry about that. But uh, I, I have I, photographic. I, yeah. I have photographic evidence, which, like you know, uh, says otherwise. There, Sam, <laughs> about you handling oh. your drink. Well, this is this is an audio. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, I, I'm not saying it's always on all occasions, but yes, um, <laughs> I was okay on Saturday. We'll keep that content for when we launch a Patreon. So keep that in your back pocket, Dan, for now. Uh, I'm going to bundle Gillespie's first start of the season and their goal together in a minute. Uh, uh, you've covered it pretty compre- comprehensively already, John, but we'll get on to that. But Sam, why don't you run us through the events leading up to Adam Randall sticking it in the onion bag? Um, <laughs> Adam Randall stuck it in the onion bag. <laughs> I can't, I can't. How much do you remember? Not, not, not a whole lot. In the I normally watch the highlights to recap, um, just just to get a touch over any instance before the podcast starts, which I've not done today. Just because I've hardly moved a muscle, to be honest. Um, 
I remember it going across goal. I'm going to sound like a bit, a bit like Chris Kamara here and that famous shock attack. Thinking, I don't really know. I don't know what happened. Uh, but then it's like what I'm feeling. I remember it sort of going across goal and I remember him stretching. There's a defender on him, but I'd struggle if I remember who put it across to him. In, in my defence, as well as yesterday, I've also, also had a very busy weekend, not only going to Hull, but also I'd um, got up early on Sunday to go and watch the NFL at Wembley as well. So I have had a rather, and, and worked on Monday, so I have had a rather manic four days. So, Frankly, I'm impressed I remember my own name, but go on, Aaron. Why, why don't you why don't you talk me through and it'll see, see if it triggers any memories for me? No, 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 no. I I had one too many shandies by that point, and I don't do the talking on this pod. I just do the the very generic, straightforward questions. Obviously, Adam Randall yet to uh, score at home park, and yet to. Uh, Apart from that trip up to Port Vale, yet to be on the winning side when he scores, which is yeah. So one thing I can I, I can very much still provide a stat. So Adam Randall has scored seven goals for Argyle. Six of them have been in games that we failed to win. Only one, as you say, in the winning court. And yeah, none at home park, which is really quite um, unusual. There can't be met. There can't be as many. There can't be many players who scored as many as seven goals without registering one at home. So slight statistical anomaly there. That's interesting. I wonder if it if it just reflects the fact that, and I know the whole goal wasn't that because as I alluded to earlier, it was a penalty box finish, but I wonder if it's maybe generally indicative of the fact that he likes to shoot from range and, and would generally more likely to be a bit more counter-attacking in away games rather than incisive, rather than playing through teams. So that could be a, a pattern possibly, but uh, who knows? I forgot to do the new run through that we do where we give uh, people on uh, Twitter a voice. So let's just do that bit actually uh, really quickly, just picking these off the top of my head. Jack Leslie wouldn't be a pod without him getting a mention. I said, very comfortable first half, played some good stuff, looked in control. Yes, McCauley was rusty, but that defending was absolutely honking. Must have been an absolute killer going into that half time. Second half, we sat in and look for the point. Decent, but disappointed with a goal. Will, the ultimate ball says, any points on the road you take in the championship? Much as that sounds like something Michael Owen would say. Uh, Dave Searle says, take a point, especially without Gibson. No surprise, Gillespie made a mistake, hasn't played much football. Point away from home is the mantra. And then Alex says, can't really complain. Hull are a good side and it's nice to get a result. Alluded to there by a couple of comments, John. Obviously, one change, Macaulay Gillespie in for Lewis Gibson at centre-back. Obviously, we now know that Lewis Gibson um, hasn't picked up a serious injury. So hopefully he'll be back for the Swansea game. But Gillespie's first start of the season, thoughts on his performance individually? Yeah, I thought he did okay. Um, I mean, he sort of did palpably look like a bit of a, a weak link that they were targeting, got sort of the uh, twisted blood a couple of times uh, with, with players running at him. And obviously I've already talked through the, the mistake for the goal, which... I do agree that it was bad defending, certainly, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, going to let him completely off the hook. I, I do think the ball has taken a fairly unforeseen bounce that has that has really favoured the attacker in a way that is unlucky, regardless, of, you know, regardless of other things that he could have done. And I, and I felt, you know, I think he was at fault at various points in that move as well. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to exonerate him of that. I guess what I would say also as mitigation is, you know, it's his first championship start. I believe ever certainly in an Argyle shirt. Um, ever, yeah, yeah. Played uh, obviously briefly uh, in the Norwich game, but uh, apart from that, has been out injured. Um, obviously, as someone where we've been managing his minutes for quite a long time now, throwing him in and throwing him in no less against a team who have a lot of the ball, have looked very good going forward, have some really tricky players, was always going to be a tough test. So, yeah, I was never inclined to judge him on. Holloway, really, um, for all those reasons. Uh, and I think it's a bit of a shame that he's come out 
as the one who will be remembered as making the big error that cost us a goal when I don't think it was entirely his fault. And also, I think, you know, obviously he's, he's going to take time to, to adapt to the level. But but overall, I thought, you know, I think he did. I think he did OK. We took him off fairly early in the second half and had a, a little bit of a, a system change or certainly um, were a bit more sort of like fluid, I think, formationally. I think he probably brought on Kessler Hayden. He was obviously a very different type of player. So, and that's, and that's to work as well yes i'm sure better better to come from him at this level in in the future yeah congratulations to skipper joe edwards notching his 500th appearance of his professional career and it didn't seem to put much wrong up and at the kmk am i getting those letters the wrong way the right way around mkm whatever up there in a hole didn't seem to put a foot wrong up there uh, much like his other 193 appearances for us but sam any gushing praise for edwards Yes, and I remember to take myself off from you. I, I probably will do. Um, yeah, so um, Edwards um, did have a very good game, actually, at Hull. I thought um, there have been games uh, this season where he's been a little bit done for trickery, done for pace, but not in that game. I think he, he defended that right side very well. It always looked like our left side was the more vulnerable of the two sides. And yeah, in, just in general, what a what a fantastic um, you know servant he's been to the club. And I think probably he would probably be agree that um, of, of all those five hundred appearances, probably the spell at Argyle has been the most successful for him by far. I know he had that; he did have that one year in the Championship at Yeovil, but uh, to have back to back, you know, I think I actually said on um, on the podcast the other week, and I think it's worth repeating. Um, it's very easy to forget with him that he was actually released by a side heading into League Two uh, when Warsaw let him go, and I know that that's not always, you know. That's not always the be-all and end-all because naturally some players just don't suit certain styles. But he was effectively deemed to be kind of not good enough for them in League Two. And obviously not only did he get promoted out of League Two, he got promoted out of League One. And he's, you know, well, naturally having some limitations so far holding his own in the Championship. And I do feel that we are generally a little bit more flaky when he doesn't play. And I know that he, that there's some exceptions to that. There's been some games where he has played and we've been, been, been beaten badly, but... As a by and large rule, I think, and I know we've not officially gone on to the, the Millwall game yet, but I think his presence would have been would have been beneficial when we started to panic and lose our heads a bit, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. And yeah, what 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 a, what a great what a great player he is, and he's someone who I think is is, is possibly on on his way to cementing Argyle legend status. And I know that sounds a bit. Um, people might say he actually should already have legend status. Somebody was captain for a 101 point winning team, but. I'm obviously, I do feel that um, as much as it has in itself become a cliche, the word legend is, is overused. So I feel that in in football, in in the history of any football club, the number of of legends that you have sh- should really be be certainly able to be counted on two hands, if if not on one. So, um, it, it, but but you know, even with that criteria, Edwards is is pretty close to joining that that exclusive list. And I think if he stays for a little bit longer and 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 continues to do well, he he may well get there. From one legend to another, John, you said on the the walk back to the station, I believe you, you, you'll most probably correct me when you actually said this to the minute. Um, but I think you were saying that there wasn't really a standout man of the match in this one for you. But Connor Hazard tipped your vote over the crossbar. That's a very nice turn of phrase that I don't remember saying. Yeah, I think I think it was a game where it was a pretty solid seven out of ten performance from <clears throat> from the side. Uh, I can't remember. Should have been an eight. Very good. Can't remember all of my match ratings off the top of my head right now. But yeah, I think I remember 
Hazard going up to an eight for those saves that we've already discussed, particularly the outstanding one with his foot. One of those where, you know, obviously the football cliche is if you give man of the match to the goalkeeper, it doesn't necessarily reflect too well on the rest of the players. Don't think that's the case. In fact, I think actually most times that I've ever given the keeper man of the match, it hasn't been a case that they've, you know, bailed out the rest of the team completely and everyone else had a terrible off day and had to have the keeper to thank for coming away with the result. Um, and I would say that was that was true again. But um, you know, I think if a man in the match performance is is typically someone who does all the basics right, is really solid, and then contributes some really outstanding moments on top of that, then I think you have to give it to Hazard above anyone else on on Saturday. Um, but there were a lot of players who did the basics right, a lot of players who put in a great shift. But Hazard was the one with those couple of saves that that really, yeah, again tipped it tipped it over the crossbar and ran the post. Uh, so I, I gave him my my man of the match. Has anybody got anything else to add on Hull? Uh, the patty was very good. I understand there's some controversy on last week's preview pod where the Hull fan that you talked to described it as a fish cake. Ridiculous. Um, I thought it was a potato cake, which it is apparently, but um, I don't know if Sam have one or not, but this was basically a deep fried potato cake in a in a bread roll that we sampled as the local delicacy before the game. And it was um, it was very good. Deep fried potato cake. If I'd have one of them, I think I might have finished my heart off yesterday for the walk. Which is a good job I didn't. That sounds incredibly lethal, but I'm uh, glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Will's paid a tenner for four pints after the game. Oh, incredible value. Well done, Hull. Seemed like a an actual pub, not a spoons type uh, down and out place. And uh, yeah, incredible. I mean, you know, did have a shandy, but whatever. Uh, same price, isn't it? Apart from that, obviously, I'm sure most have seen the nightmare journey endured by those aboard Coach 1 or Coach 1, 2, 3 and 4, shall I say, as as they arrive back in Plymouth at 10am the next day. Uh, we've actually got a voice note. What we'll do is we'll have a break here and we'll let uh, Sam, for, who was on the coach, not our Sam, a different Sam, just tell you what happened. Here I am, finally got out of bed. Basically, we left home. We were driving for about 10 minutes in traffic. It starts raining and the wipers aren't working, so we pull over. Then after about 20 minutes, they tell us that an engineer ain't going to be able to come out and fix it. So then we're sat on the coach for 90 minutes waiting for him to come out and he can't fix it. So they have to get this double-decker coach to come out for us. And it picks us up eventually from this petrol station and takes us to Northampton services. Don't know why they chose Northampton, but we were there for about two and a half hours waiting for the coach to pick us up from there. On our way back, the engine started overheating on that coach. So we then had to pull over somewhere else and wait about three hours for another coach to come pick us up. And then we could finally get back. We got back to home park at about, what was it, 9am, I think? I've never been so tired in my life. It was mental. Um, but yeah, everyone wasn't really too bad. We were, they were playing music and chanting and stuff. So it wasn't too bad, but... It was extremely tired and painful, to be honest. But it wouldn't stop me going on the coach because I've been on it quite a few times and that's the first time it's ever happened in like four, three or four seasons I've been on it. So luckily there's no away games till West Brom because uh, it gives me a break from a coach. But yeah, um, they said they're going to refund us, which is obviously good. They said something else about they'll contact us in the coming days. I don't know if that means they're going to do something else as well alongside that, but probably the longest day I've ever had in my life. I wake for like 30 hours. I woke up at 2.30am to go to and didn't get home till 11am. So, pretty mental. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. As John would like me to say, welcome back. Part two. He likes a, an intro and an outro to each part. That's September over and done with now. How do we rank the month as a whole, Dan? Ninth of the year, I would say. Blimey. Is, is that a tumbleweed going past or is it just me? Um, I'm trying to work out roughly quickly in my head how many points we got in September. Does someone have that to hand? Uh, seven. It was the two home wins against Blackburn and Norwich and Draw at Hull. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, so, you know, again, I think any any five-game streak in the championship from which we pick up seven points is absolutely fine. Uh, pretty good month. Uh, obviously, Bristol City was the, uh, let's say, outlier in terms of it being an absolute horror show that was there was obviously a lot of concern out of that at the other end of the scale we had Norwich which was astonishing and then the Blackburn win was good the the two other away games which little frustrating to only got one point out of those two but you know it's uh is what it is so yeah pretty, a pretty good month and um yeah reasonable pointage as our former manager liked to uh, used to say yeah, September's goal of the month um, was a bit more hotly contested than Sheffield Wednesday's, uh, who managed one goal in the whole month. Obviously, I've gone for a... Sheldon were right there as the reference. Yeah, but they're also not in our league um, anymore. Thank God we don't have to go to Cheltenham on a boxing day anymore. Which... Anyway, moving on. Um, I've gone for Luke Cundall uh, at home to Blackburn, but I know that you had a you had a slightly different one in mind, John, for your September goal of the month. Oh, well, this was only the one that I suggested should be added to the list, oh, which was Hardy at Preston. <clears throat> a goal where the finish in itself was just a kind of slip past the keeper. But you always get one on the on the match of the day, a goal of the month compilation, which is for the purists, you know, which is like a very nice team move with a nice simple finish at the end of it. And I thought the Hardy goal at Preston was outstanding from that from that vantage point. Um, but having said that, my vote for goal of the month would be Azaz against Norwich. Um, just a goal. A goal, yeah, shock for, for those of you who listen to the pod regularly um, uh, who know that I love Finn Azaz. But no, I thought it was a goal that typified a lot that was good about us. Um, you know, not resting on our laurels after just scoring to go 3 0 up. I think a lot of other teams would have just stroked the ball around for the remaining minute and a half or whatever of stoppage time and, and taken the 3 0. Uh, but we didn't. And, and you know, fair play because if we had rested on our laurels in that game, we might have. Uh, might have been a different outcome given that Norwich managed to score twice in the second half. But also just a nice little quick play through the midfield, popped it to Azaz and it's a wonderful run. Lovely the roll over the ball on his right foot to take out two defenders. And yeah, he could maybe do a little bit better with the finish. But I think on watching that in real time, it looked better than on the replay where the keeper looks more at fault. I think in real time, it really just looked like Azaz's shot. Took him by surprise, zipped past him into the corner. 
great limbs. Couldn't really believe what I was seeing. All the ingredients for, for a classic goal of the month, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely lovely. Um, I've just realised, and Joe won't forgive us, that we didn't do ref watch for Hull. It's not really needed, is it? We'll save it for Millwall. Well, there's a lot of bloody talk about for Millwall, isn't there? So I think, yeah, the Hull one... I think we should... Let's consolidate all of our ref watches into one easy, angry ref watch, shall we? I think the ref at Hull was fine. I can't really, can't really remember him having any massively controversial decisions to make. And I think the, what, the, the smaller decisions he made pretty well with the minimum of fast. So I think... That's not the spirit of ref I was watch. adamant in the flesh that when Hardy nicked the ball off their defender for Azaz to then hit the post in that instant that I forgot to mention, that Hardy was actually fouled while he did that. But watching it back, I don't think there was anything in it. So I'll shut up about that. Good. Plus, we, as I've told you many times, we had the advantage because we hit the post. Um, go on then, Dan. Run us through Millwall at home. Indeed. Um, this, to me, was the type of game that we were being warned about uh, when we came into the championship where we would look like we're on top and having the better of the play, having most of the game and just get done by a bit of quality. Um, I have to give Millwall a lot of credit. They defended deep. They defended in numbers and very resolutely, um, but they kept us out very well. And then through a little bit of quality and pouncing on, uh, well, one of the goals was a defensive error and then the second one was, uh, well, we'll save that for ref watch. But, you know, a little bit of quality and and they put us to the sword twice. It's hugely frustrating. But if, you know, it, it happens. If that is something that's going to continually happen to us over and over, we might have an issue. But, you know, as a, as a one-off, such as you know, it's such as life. It happens, and and we move on. We try and learn from, learn from it, and and do better next time. Um, from our point of view, I think we it was it was a real kind of return to just playing a lot on the deck, but necessitated by the fact that Millwall were sitting deep in that low block. Norwich was much more of a kind of you know we could mix our styles because they were pressing us a lot more, which meant you know we let's rather than trying to play through the press every time we did go long more often and and that really paid dividends as as we know the Millwall game was just you know really whilst they did press us on occasions and we played I thought played through their press very very well um, in general they did sit quite deep so it was always going to be you know us just kind of knocking it around progressing it up through the thirds. And trying to create chances from there. The frustrating thing was is that we just didn't quite get it right in the final third. It was just kind of break down at, at the last moment, the kind of fine, you kind of think the final little through ball, the final touch, the final little pass, it didn't quite happen. Um, which is it, which is a real shame. Um, I think in the first half, um, I thought Hardy, Azaz, and Mumba all played really, really well and really got us into some really good positions. In the second half, none of those three really hit the same height of, the, of that first half. Uh, and Whitaker just had a bit of a shocker, to be honest. It happens. You know, I'm not going to stick the knife in on the guy. He's had a brilliant season so far. He is still a very good player. I think either playing out wide in the back four system or playing uh, as one of the tens in the back three. But it just, just didn't happen for him last night. Bit of a weird one taking... It was Matt Butcher who came on for him, wasn't it, last night, which is a bit of an odd sub. But, um, well, it, you know. it, it was to facilitate the 3-4-3, wasn't it? Not because Butcher went to left centre-back and we changed to 3-4-3, I thought. 
that's a fair point yeah and i just uh, i just think at that stage i probably would have just probably wouldn't have gone to a back three but yeah it doesn't it doesn't matter i i'm seeing a lot of why are we going uh, back to the inverted fullbacks back four you know we've got four points from two games playing a back three but i think it was probably mostly because you know gibson wasn't fit therefore we literally had unless we were going to play butcher in the back three we had three center backs you know available which is risky lacks cover um and you know we did play some really really good football playing at back four so i don't want us to just kind of lose the idea of the fact that we should just never ever play it again but there are personnel issues um Mikhail miller had a pretty good game last night but still just isn't really a left back you know it's just not he just makes too many defensive errors doesn't quite have that defensive awareness um and when we are playing a lot on the ground, he often, whilst he was pretty good at it last night, often isn't good enough technically to play through a press. And their first goal came from a completely a skewn header from him. So it's frustrating, but I appreciate we don't have a lot of options uh, fullback at the minute, which leans more towards the 3-4-3. The last thing I'd say on, on the game last night, I appreciate I've kind of rattled through a lot of various points here, is um, a bit of a frustration with what we're doing at the end of games when we're a goal down. It was the same at Preston. I applaud the way that we're trying to keep it on the deck, try and pass through teams, try and create that final opening. Against a low block, it's very, very difficult, and we are doing it pretty damn well, considering. But to give us something different, to give us that alternative option to just so that we can mix styles we can play it on the deck if we want but we can also go long or we can get it wide put crosses in for someone to win headers and that to me is putting Dan Scar up front I can't believe in the last 10 minutes at Preston and the last 10 minutes against Millwall that this wasn't done it was crying out for one of our players you know just maybe um just two players to kind of split wide on either flank to be able to put crosses in. And, you know, Millwall centre-backs were massive. I know that Hardy, Wayne and uh, Bundu aren't going to win headers against them, but put Scar in there to just cause a bit of mayhem. It, you know, well, it you, wasn't done. Back, back Bundu to do that, right, if he was through the middle? I'm not, not to the same, not against Millwall's massive centre-backs, I don't think. Against maybe a team with kind of more ball-playing centre-backs, potentially. But, you know, Scar's a battering ram and also a centre-back. You know, he's not really going to be able to deal with a quick counter-attack. He's not blessed with loads of pace, is he? I think that's something that we need to look at. You know, we obviously don't have a Sam Cosgrove-type striker this season, really. Um, and that's fine. I'm not saying we should necess- necessarily have splashed out on a striker that is just going to play the last 10 minutes of games. But just give us that different dimension. Stick, stick Dan Scar in there. And let him just see if he can just win a few knockdowns. It might not necessarily work, but it just gives us that extra dimension. We saw in the Norwich game how going long sometimes can really give us that ability to mix styles and and, and cause a bit of mayhem. Um, I'd, I'd like to see us doing that going forward if we're searching for a goal. Because when you're playing it on the deck and it's not quite coming off, it it can become really, really stale. Um, and chance creation can become very difficult. That's what happened um, towards the end of the game last night. Question bingo, you've basically ticked off everything, so thanks for that. No worries. 
John, you might you might cover a few of the things that Dan's already spoke about. Let, but let's let's speak about each one individually. Obviously, two changes: Ken Kessler Hayden and Mikel Miller in for Edwards and Gillespie. Thoughts on the changes and reverting back to the four three three? Yeah, um, I don't know if I have enormous thoughts about it. To be honest, not not as pointed thoughts as some other critics that I've seen. I think a degree of rotation is going to make sense um, personnel-wise for a Tuesday night game. My criticism, you know, with the rotation at Bristol City that time was that it was wholesale and, you know, led to just far too many changes to the team as opposed to, you know, I'm not against rotation at all. Um, Joe Edwards, while a great servant to the club for all the reasons Sam listed earlier and while he's actually had some really good games this season, probably one of the players more than some others who might struggle with with two games at this level in, in a few days, let alone three in a week. So I don't necessarily mind him dropping out. And obviously, Kessler Hayden's a really great player to come in. Um, Miller, I think Dan is correct to say he isn't a left-back. I think, unfortunately, uh, and I'm going to get added for this, I would go further and say I don't see the quality necessary um, to be a, a regular player for us in this league, unfortunately. Um, I will, there, dis- there I will disagree last night. I think actually him and Mumba actually linked up pretty well at times, but uh, on the whole, there are, on the there whole, are errors. Yeah. There are errors, Aaron, though, still, uh, including one really costly one, and he gives the ball away too much. He lunged into a tackle last night that while I think maybe he was a little bit lucky to get a, uh, unlucky, sorry, to get a yellow card for it on that occasion is very, was a bit reminiscent of the one he launched into at Preston, both quite wild, reckless lunges when he's been caught out. Um, I'm just not massively convinced at the moment, and I hope he proves me wrong. Uh, but um, yeah, that being said, you know, Gillespie dropping out after, you know, I think less, less making the error on Saturday and more just obviously, you know, he is someone whose fitness we have had to manage in the past was also totally understandable and, and I do get that we have sort of personnel um, shortages in those sorts of areas. I am uh, not, would, ne- would never claim to be a sort of tactical and statistical ex- and uh, and, and uh, uh, sorry, systems-based expert, I should say. Um, I know, of course, I'm a massive statistical expert as, uh, as everyone will know, but uh, um, no, I'm not a tactical expert. I, for me, watching it on, on TV last night, I wasn't at the ground. I didn't necessarily think the formation change was what was to blame, honestly. Um, certainly, I think it's as clear cut a case as saying, you know, if we'd if we'd continue with the the three at the back, we'd have won the game. Obviously, that's counterfactual. It's very very hard to to sort of um, disprove just because the game would have been completely different if we had changed the formation in certain respects. But I think the issues were going forward last night much more than defensively. Uh, we've only con- uh, conceded one goal that I consider to be a legitimate goal, so uh, which I'm sure we'll come on to uh, shortly. It's not like we've we've leaked in four goals like at Bristol City while also missing a bunch of chances. I think I think we have yet, as Dan said, that we came up against the side who were just brilliantly drilled defensively, and you do have to give that credit. At the same time, especially in the second half, we were nowhere near our fluid attacking best. I think the issues were way more at, at that end of the pitch. And while obviously the formation was different, you know, throughout the whole pitch, of course, I, I think that the issues with the four at the back have been more defensive facing the season. I don't really think that that was where we looked weak yesterday. Um, albeit, you know, of course, we weren't put under a lot of pressure by Millwall, who who chose to sit back and soak us up and and, and attack on the break and did so very effectively. Yeah, I don't I don't think it really had much to do with it that we that we went back to that that previous system. And as Dan said, you know, just because we've had a couple of good results with the three at the back, 
we did have some really good performances and a couple of good results with the four at the back as well. And, and I don't think, you know, we need to say we need to be as inflexible as saying, you know, let's never play that again just because we've had two positive results with the three. So I, I don't I don't hate the change of shape going back to that, honestly. I thought the rotation was was appropriate scale wise compared to what he did at Bristol City the last time we had a midweek game in the league, which was obviously a complete disaster, as we all know. Yeah, just uh, just not our night, but I'm sure we'll come on to some of the other reasons why that was the case. Uh, and I won't, unlike Dan, I'll, I'll do you the courtesy, having sat in your hot seat and knowing now what that's like, I'll do you the courtesy of not answering your, your other questions. Well, whilst we're on about their formation and the the system uh, and players, I'll, I'll just skip ahead to some of the Twitter questions. He's already been mentioned tonight. Uh, Jack Leslie said, is it time to just stick with our trusty shape slash formation from last year? For me, the players at hand suit it much better, especially Whitaker. Uh, let's be honest, it's a tad bewildering. It's not our main system after being centurions with 101 points. Uh, he also says, well done, Sam, mate. Um, well done. Uh, and Andy, you, Davis, Andy Davis, who doesn't say well done, says um, strongest team slash formation. But actually, um, picking up what you said about, John, about being not being uh, inflexible. Actually, I think last night, for me, I would have stuck with the, the back three and played one person out of position in Matt Butcher rather than three or four, where we know full well that, that Mumba is much better at left wing back. We know that Whitaker is much better in the 10. We know that, who else? Kane Kessler-Hayden is, is more of a wing back. I think for me, I would have I would have stuck with that and played one person out of position rather than multiple. But I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, Sam. So, yeah, um, I, I this is so good to have a little bit of healthy disagreement on the podcast at the time because one of the comments happened that we agree a bit too much. So I would disagree with Dan, John. I think it was part of the reason. You said, you said, you said that we agree too much. Has that person been listening to the pod? Well, uh, that. They, they only ever listen to the ones when you when you and Joe are on at the same time, mate. That's what it is. Um, so anyway, well, don't, they, don't, don't, don't worry. I'm happy. I'm happy to disagree with you, Sam. As you know, fine. Anyway, um, I do think that it was partly to change the formation. I just think even when in the three four three, even when it's tough games, even when we're not controlling the possession, because we have that little bit more directness and attack, and because we have that bit more freedom from almost everyone, if not completely everyone, playing in their best position. It just opens more doors, and I think you know, for all the nice you know build-up play we had yesterday, and for all the times where we nearly got it into a dangerous area, and when when we were just kind of one pass or one turn of shape away from getting a great chance, I still can't really remember one what I'd call clear-cut chance we actually had. I think probably Wait the closest, yeah, the closest Wait thing to it was that yeah, I, I I think that was the closest thing to it, but I, I think that even that wasn't wasn't massive. I think it was a tough angle. Um, it was it was a clear strike from inside the box when he was completely unmarked. I mean, there's men between him and the goal, but he's got to get that on target. It's, it's a great... Sorry, great... I, I, sorry, I thought you meant the other Whitaker one, the angled one first half. But yes, OK, the, the one you mean... The one you mean, yes, OK, that, that was also pretty so good. There were two... There were two decent Whitaker ones, but I, even then, you know, men between him and the goal, I don't think it's a... I don't think it's opened up for him amazingly well. Um... So you know what? Yeah, the, 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 we we had a lot of half chances, in, and maybe yes, you could argue that all those half chances uh, and seven chances built up to the point where we maybe should have scored one of them. But I wouldn't say any of them as individual instances we should have scored. Um, so for all the nice, you know, patient play and, and build up, I don't think we really cut them open like we did to Norwich, and like we even did at home with with the. With you know Randall having a very good chance to score, and with the Sabs having a very good chance to score that he unfortunately missed. So 
I, I do think that it just the three four three. It is more direct. It's much more direct than yesterday. We tried to play the passing game, and you know, yes, that's yes, that's because of the fact that Millwall sat deeper. So I kind of get the logic of playing the possession game against the deep deep block. But I don't know. I just feel that yes, even even if we did, um, even if it would have been a bit harder. Maybe that could have been a double bluff. Maybe that would have been playing the way they didn't expect it to. Maybe with them sitting deep, with us playing that sort of, you know, dynamic, high-octane, more direct style, maybe that might have actually flustered them. Maybe that might have forced them to push out with us a bit, and it may have may have worked our way. I, I just feel that the three-four-three, in almost all circumstances, does seem to be getting us more clear sights at goal. Um, so I think that's what we should have what we should have done. Um, I'm not saying never. But I, I, where I would go further than Dan and John is that I do absolutely think that it should be the get it should be the formation we certainly start the vast majority of games with. I would maybe even say start every game with. I'm not saying that we should never change the four three three in game. I mean, even at Hull, as I said, we changed the four three three in game, and and it actually, you know, we actually regained a bit of momentum. I think if in games when we're just being absolutely battered in midfield and we're just not getting any foothold in midfield at all. Then I would then yes maybe look to changing the four three three in game. But I certainly think the vast majority of our starting formations should absolutely be three four three. Just going to think we're so much better as a rule. Um, that side personnel wise, um, yeah, um, I, I get why you know um, he's not what obviously Gillespie maybe got a bit of a knock on Saturday and you know doesn't really want to play Butcher at centre back. I I get that. I'm not annoyed at Shuey. Like after the Bristol City rotation, I was genuinely quite annoyed. Last night, I can understand why he's done it, but it's not what I'd have done. And I, and I, I think I, I would probably, um, I would probably say that it's been proven, proven wrong that he did do it in, in my opinion. But you know what? Um, that being said, I do think that we, there are some positives to take because for all the fact we didn't have one absolute clear, clear gaping chance. We had quite a few half chances. We had a lot of moments that didn't quite become a chance like Ben Wayne where it fell to him absolutely perfectly on his left foot but he just just didn't back himself to shoot on his left so we had to try and get it onto his right and by that time the defender got on the way to block which is a bit of a shame but you know the margins are fine and well as we will come on to in ref watch there are two pretty big decisions that if one of them goes our way that makes it 1-1 and if one of them doesn't go our way you know it's still 1-0 very late in the game but that's 11 against 10 with the chance for us to get at one big wall boot up the pitch. So we'll come on to that in a bit. We might, we might cover that WWE style move in a bit. Uh, sorry to still talk about formation and selection, um, but does last night highlight the lack of defensive options in the squad? I don't know who wants that open-ended. Well, yeah, none of them are, none of them are fit. <laughs> that's what it comes down yeah. to. Well, yeah, that's probably, that's probably it, isn't it? I mean, if we are going to play this back for just kind of kind of announced to answer your question and kind of in response to Sam's point about when we should use it, I'd be tempted to only go with the back four at the minute when it's Edwards and Kesler Hayden because our only other real options there at the minute are Miller or I guess Gillespie at, at left back, but I, I don't know if he might be technically good enough to play the inverted role. I'm not sure. So we are kind of limited in that in that respect. But I think it is just it's yeah, it's just injuries. And and also personnel wise, you know, I guess the back three does kind of make sense at the minute in that, you know, Plegathuelo, Scar and Gibson have all done very, very well so far this season. So it kind of makes sense if we can play all three of them 
then we should. And obviously, unless we're going to play Pagathuelo in midfield or at, at fullback, um, where we don't know if he's going to be as good yet for us, um, that's the way we've got to get all three of them in the team. Two former Greens, Joe Bryan and Ryan Leonard, who, who now appears to be a centre-back for some reason. Either of them impress you, John? No. Can't say I really massively noticed either of them. I think I was screaming at the TV for Leonard to get booked late on when he was refusing to give the ball back to us, and then he did, so that was fine. That doesn't sound like you. Yeah, uh, I, I thought it was a very disciplined unit performance from Millwall, and I think you've got to give them credit for that. They were really, really compact, um, you know, limited us to uh, not many chances at all. It is pretty much the textbook defensive performance against the way we play. And in the first half, we didn't play badly at all. You know, we were zipping the ball around, getting into good areas. And and in the second half, you know, I thought we were pretty bad overall. But a large part of that is probably we got frustrated and didn't really have a second dimension that we were able to convincingly introduce into the game, which I think, again, you have to give Millwall credit for inducing that state of affairs just by really shutting up shop and frustrating us. And, and I think, you know... Compared to when we were in League One, you'd sometimes see Wickham do a kind of shit-outy performance like like that. This one was a you, you could tell if it was a higher caliber, right? It was it was sort of a more like artful shit-housing than you would get at that lower level. Um, one that is very sort of sanguine about sitting back and letting us have our possession and letting us sit the ball around on the understanding that you then will get chances at some point in the game and then just taking those really clinically with the minimum minimum of fuss. I don't want to say it was a cleaner shithousing than you might get against a, a Wickham, because I thought there were some pretty dirty tackles flying in from, from Millwall. There was a, a, a few in the first half that were back-to-back, pretty cynical. Obviously, there was the one that we'll come on to talk about at the end as well. But um, yeah, all in all, I think you have to say they did a fairly textbook job on us. I understand that Sam's definition of doing a job is for a team to limit the other team to zero chances and 0.0 XG in a game, so he would disagree because... Um, we did actually get the ball in their penalty area a couple of times. Uh, this is, to be fair, from uh, just for context for listeners, games in the past where I've said I've expressed the opinion that Argyle did a job on a team where Sam has then pointed to the one chance that other team had to say it's not a job because uh, it's only a job. I, if it's I, a proper I'm, I'm going to just come in and give my point of view. My my view is that there is actually like, doing a job, and Millwall absolutely did do it last night. But I would not, I would not necessarily apply it to games where. The team that lost had a, had a significantly higher XG than the team that won, because I think that's just down to either bad finishing or good goalkeeping. Um, where I would say it's applicable is whereby a situation whereby the losing team had more possession and more territory, but still had lower XG, which is what last night was. So I would absolutely agree, uh, despite John's misconvers comment there, I would absolutely agree that Noel did a job and did a job very well. And credit to them, because I mean, we're, we're moaning a little bit about Argyle's failings, and you have to say that for a man really under the cost, uh, Gary Rowett set up his Millwall team to brilliantly frustrate us and hit us on the counter and absolutely did a job. And again, that's going back to my previous point. Maybe that's another reason why we should have gone, you know, less about possession and, and maybe more about territory and a bit more direct because Millwall just wouldn't have been expecting it. They were absolutely uh, setting up on the basis we were going to play a, 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 a possession orientated game. And, and we just didn't, and we just, sorry, we just did do that. We just fell into their trap. So, yeah, and I, I, obviously John's um, comment about doing a job, I agree they did, and they did so well. I was going to say, it was maybe a bit of a false sense of security last night because they have looked in pretty poor nick, especially obviously, well, obviously at the weekend. They lost 3-0 at home to 
Swansea side who haven't set the world alight so far this season, although now have won two games back-to-back 3-0. And guess who they're playing next after having such a poor start? Uh, said many times on this podcast about our track record of playing teams at exactly the wrong moment. Millwall actually look like an exception to that, right? They look like a team that were coming in, lacking in confidence, question marks, albeit I'm not sure exactly how seriously over the manager's future after a few bad results. But they're a team that have been consistently with pretty similar personnel um, in and around the, well, I say in, around the playoff picture uh, in the last few years. Um, missed out on the final day last season. Believe narrowly missed out the season before as well. Uh, spent some serious money compared to us. Um, I mean, Fleming got the first goal. can't remember exactly how much she cost, but it's a serious, serious talent who I believe they invested a lot of money in. You know, I think maybe... We looked at them losing three down at home to Swansea and some of their other results and thought this lot are, are going to be a sort of straightforward home game for us as you know, to the extent that you can get one of those in the championship. And early on, I was thinking that looks like a good supposition because we are kind of all over them. But then, yeah, as the game progressed, you, you sort of you got to see that that kind of pattern of doing a job that Sam that Sam alluded to. They were very, very disciplined about it. Some of our really good results this season are results where we've been very narrowly shaded in games by teams who are right up at, up there at the top of the league. I'm thinking the Southampton and Preston games, for example, uh, at the time probably looks better than I think they will look in hindsight. Certainly the, the Preston one, I think Preston probably will be a mid-table side. So going up there and losing 2-1 at the end of the season, we might not remember, oh, well, they were top at the time and they were all conquering. I think, you know, kind of in a similar vein, this result could come to look less concerning if Millwall go on a run of form and stop putting some results like that together against teams in this league, which which I absolutely think they they could do. They've shown they have the calibre to do that over the last couple of seasons. I, I did just want to sort of raise a question for the group quickly that's related to this. It sort of strikes me that, and I think Dan alluded to, you know, this was the sort of game that we've been warned about at this level. And I agree with that. What I would say is one of three types of defeat that I think we've had this season across the games that we've lost in the league. We've had a few defeats where it was a really open, entertaining game and we just got shaded, but we managed to go on the score sheet. You know, we could have gone on the score sheet a few more times. It's just kind of a, a ding-dong that we've come out on the wrong side of. We've then had one absolutely terrible performance uh, where we got absolutely shellacked and it was really embarrassing, but with a much-changed team. And it was, was just a sort of performance, performance that was so poor you can't legislate for it. And then we've had one last night where didn't play overly badly, especially in the first half, but we've been shit-house bare side who really, really contained our attacking play I'm wondering what people think is the most concerning of those types of defeat because I've sort of heard people make a case that if we should be concerned about any of them it's, it's one of those particular types because I, I actually think the most concerning was probably what we saw last night not so massively massively concerned yet for all the reasons I've just said about Millwall being good and us failing to kind of um, break them down when perhaps we, we could have done even though they were good but I do worry if teams work out that that's how to stop us and are able to defend with that level of discipline, we might be in for some tougher nights at home park than maybe the free-flowing football that we've we've come to expect there so far this season. But, um, uh, well, yeah, whereas Bristol City away, you know, it was a terrible performance. That can happen, but you can't really legislate for it. I guess maybe I'm a little bit more worried about playing well and not really creating a lot. But, um, yeah, I'm wondering where other people stand on that. Playing well, but but it not quite, you know, not getting the result is is exactly why I'd say I think the most concerning one is the kind of Southampton... Um, Preston Birmingham type one where we just seem to exert so much into those games and and play very very well as well undeniably um, but still end up on the on the wrong side of it it was very open they were very open free-flowing games and and you know that I guess the worry is is that we could 
if we play like that, you know, the other team's superior quality just through, you know, having, you know, just kind of bigger, more pack more punch, basically have, have, you know, um, more ability to splash out on more expensive players um, could just see us get edged. You know, um, when we were doing that last season against some teams, we were able to um, overpower them. And I guess the worry is if we play a really kind of open, expansive, entertaining style, and blimey, we've had some brilliant games this season, which we've unfortunately lost, but they've been super, super entertaining, um, is that we'll just get edged by that superior quality. So that's probably the one for me. Um, Last night is, like I say, concerning if it keeps happening, but I'm happy to just put it down as a one-off and we didn't quite click um, into Top Gear last night. Happy to leave it at that for now. You say about breaking teams down, John, it also leads into uh, what Brian Woodward... Um, no, he hasn't. Brian Dart. There's two Brians. They've both asked different things. Brian Dart has asked us to you've, talk... Um, you've, missed, you've missed the bullseye with that reference, Aaron. Yeah, brilliant. Brian Dart asks us to talk about new strikers, exclamation mark. Um, I think you touched on it earlier, Dan, didn't you, about just having different options. Do you feel like that's a priority come January? I think that depends on how Ben Wayne does. If Wayne starts to find his feet, uh, let's say, you know, he gets the odd start and does pretty well um, or makes some some good sub appearances, um, then I would say I'm less concerned about um, our striking options come January. Hardy has been brilliant so far this season, undeniably, but he is just one guy. Bundu has made a very promising start to his Argyle career. I think, again, last night, his cameo was very good. Uh, he kind of drifted out wide a lot of the time, didn't he? He played on that right flank. But still, I think as a as an upfront option, maybe in a two rather than just a one, but, you know, as an upfront option, he seems to be good so far. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just that thing about Ben Wayne, because I, I, I worry that he's going to struggle to make the step up at this level and that I'm not, you know, writing him off or, or saying it's definitely not going to happen at this stage because he's obviously had limited opportunity so far and he's still young. If that is the case, then we probably need to look at maybe, let's say, perhaps seeing looking at a loan move for him in January, League One, League Two, um, and, and getting another striker in. Not necessarily a target man, maybe a, a kind of similar player to what we already have, but just more depth. I don't think we need to go for something completely radical and different you know, for for kind of certain scenarios like a Cosgrove type, I just think perhaps if Wayne does struggle, and like I just want to emphasise it, it's just an if, perhaps we just need a bit more depth in there. Is there anything else we need to cover on Millwall before we all do our best Joe Bell impression? I would just say one thing that I saw, and um, full credit to uh, the guy on Pasotti who, who pointed out this stat, is how important the first goal's been this season. We... Last season, obviously, you know, there were a lot of kind of memorable comebacks and um, points won from behind. I think we ended up with, Sam will probably be able to confirm, I think it was eight wins from behind last season, wasn't it? Which is absolutely... Uh, I think it was 20, yeah, I think it was eight wins and I think 27 points overall, yeah, eight wins, three draws. That rings a bell, which is bonkers and, you know, massive credit to, to Shiri for that. So far this season... I think the stat went, we've gone ahead in four games 
and won, th won three of them and drawn one. Uh, we've gone behind in five games and lost all of them. That is surprising when you look at how good we were coming from behind last season, but just perhaps, you know, shows the quality of this division. And if we do have to, if we do go behind, I guess the ability that teams have to just retain possession and we're just trying to kind of chase the ball um, is is so much more difficult. We yeah, were brilliant. That shows gone. I was just going to say, we were such a good team at kind of um, pressing high and, and you know, counter-pressing and harrying and just and winning balls back and turning it over last season. Um, and I don't think we're terrible at it this season, but just with that increase in quality that opposition teams have of just keeping the ball, when you're ahead, you know, we can just be chasing shadows sometimes. So I think it'd be interesting to see how that plays out over the season, but I thought that was an interesting stat um, at this stage. You know, I think it shows more than anything, though, the reason for that difference. The lack of players who can change games off the bench. Simply as that. I think our depth isn't great. And I think when, when everyone laughed at me for saying we had a 6 or a 7 out of 10 transfer window, I think that's why. Well, look, we, we've gone top-heavy on great players like Mumba and Whitaker who are going to come and be starters and be good starters, especially in Whitaker's case. Mumba's maybe not quite made the start we hoped for, but we're sure he will get better. But anyway, that's progressive. The point I'm saying is we, we very much diverted our budget on top, top quality starters rather than having that bit more depth. Last season, and yes, of course injuries haven't helped, but last season, look, look at, for example, the famous game of Derby home, uh, that great turnaround. We had great, you know, Callum Wright, we brought off the bench and he was instrumental. Derby away, obviously Cosgrove, we brought off the bench and he was instrumental. Um, several other games, even the Shrewsbury game with Callum Wright got the winning, he came on as a sub. It was goals, as a, a certain poster may, may indicate, it wasn't just goals from winning positions, it was goals scored by substitutes. That's because we had so many players off the bench who were just as good, if not better, than the players starting. This season, we you know, we, we absolutely don't have that, to put it blunt, our, our, with the exception of Bristol City, when obviously we basically played a, a B team and left all the best players on the bench, um, effectively. We just don't have the quality to bring on off the bench to change games. Now, partly that is just the fact we're stepping up to a higher level, but but I also wonder if it's partly the factor of making a conscious decision to go maybe more top heavy in terms of quality on the starting level and lower on depth rather than the other way around. Not even necessarily saying that's a bad decision as such. I, you know, my, I still, as, as you know, I've given my views on on the lack of signing a out and out striker. I know Gwendolyn's a bit of a striker come winger, but I, I think the striker hunt was was inarguably disappointing. Certainly with some of the hints given in the media that we were hoping to spend bigger than an established championship player. So I, I, I'm a little bit disappointed in that, as I've already alluded to. But even, even that aside, I just think when you go up the league, you have to make some degree of sacrifice. Do you go? Do you go with breadth or depth? Do you go with with with, with high quality starting eleven, lower depth, or do you go slightly lower quality starting eleven but more depth? And I think we very clearly have gone for the former of that too. And I just think so often on the bench, I'm looking at it thinking. It's not really that many we can bring on to, to change the game here too well. Um, whereas last season, I wasn't thinking that at all at any point. Sorry, I just like to say, I just like to say, I agree with Sam, and that's why it was such an oversight to sell Callum Wright in the summer. Well, I did say part of it was down to injury, John. In fairness, didn't I? I did, I did say that. How come we've only dropped two points from winning positions then? If our depth is that bad, I, okay. 
yeah, fair, fair point. Like, fair point, I suppose. But but even even in the situations where where we've got into winning positions, I don't think it's a case of having subs who brought who we brought on who really helped us see the game out, have they? Uh, Cundle, Cundle against Blackburn at home, absolutely won, yes. And I think Cundle is the one who I did look at yesterday and I was saying during the game, he's the one who I think we should bring on to change it. But in the other games, I think Huddersfield home, we we regained the 3-1 lead before, I think, bringing on any subs. I could be wrong, certainly before bringing on many. Norwich home, we were four, we were, you know, we were five luck before subs were even thought of and the game was done. And... Um, Obviously, Blackburn. I said that, that that's the one that I agree was a bit of an exception. We scored two quite late goals as a what you know as, as a result of heavy substitute involvement. The whole game, um, obviously, you know, yeah, we, we we did drop points in that one. So I think whilst it is true that we've not dropped many points, I don't think we've necessarily dropped many points because we've had the players to really bring on and help us see out games. I think with the exception of Blackburn, it's been more due to the fact that, that the starting eleven have have got us into a a big enough lead that. You know, the, you know, we've already got a cushion before the subs have come on to an extent as well. I'm glad. I'm glad we can agree it was. Uh, it's nothing to do with playing at a higher level. I, I, or, oh, come or, on! Or, you're, you're, or, I, I just said limited, it's to do with playing or, at a higher level. Or the limited result. Dan, Dan literally said the reason is it's because we're playing at a higher level, and you said no, it isn't. It's because of the lack of depth in the squad. That's I didn't say no, it isn't. I didn't say no. I said it's because of the lack of depth in the squad, but I didn't say no, it isn't. I said. I said, yes, of course, that's part of playing at a higher level. But what I also said is that when you go up to a higher level, you have to make that choice and, and you have to make that, that sacrifice to some extent. I think, I think you're mischaracterising a bit what you said, but Aaron, Aaron will be the master of the take later. I think that the fallacy... In... I never said no, I didn't. I want to make that quite clear. The fallacy in what you're saying, though, is that, you know, the, the, the first team versus the depth thing could change if you start cutting up a little bit the players who start and the players who are currently on the bench rather than seeing it as we have a team of starters and then we have a team of players who are much weaker who are not going to be able able to come on. As I've said on this podcast many times, like, yeah, currently, I certainly think we should be starting Whitaker as as Mumba Hardy at this beginning end of the season, try and get as many points as we can and, and start games well. But I don't think over the course of the whole season, you know, with tiredness and injuries and rotation and all the rest of it, we're going to have to necessarily start all of those four players Every week, so then you could potentially get to a situation where you have a mumba to come off the bench, but it's not like you've, you've completely sacrificed the strength in the starting lineup because you have played Whitaker, you have played Hardy. You can have an Azaz to come on because you have started Cundle. Like these are all choices that are available to Shuey that he just isn't doing at the moment. So this idea that it's kind of set in stone that we have a bunch of great starters and then nothing on the bench is is a function of the fact that that's the way he's choosing to select his teams at the moment. That I don't think is necessarily the way he has to select his team. And, I, and I've said on this pod. You know, my, my big criticism after the Preston Bristol City won two of games that he played all of his best players at Preston and didn't have anything in the tank for Bristol City and played with respect at a much weaker lineup, certainly at the top end of the pitch. And my argument was always if he was worried about, if he was intending to rotate to that extent, he should have balanced the changes across the two games. And I absolutely think that's a thing that he can do. And I think he probably will do at different points in the season. Yeah, we don't have a world beating squad because we have extremely limited resources for this level. I think having those players in there who have an impact, you can absolutely do something, even if it's meant we've had to compromise maybe a tad on some of the backup options that we have, is better than having a squad of meh players who are all kind of much of a muchness and none of whom have that, what I consider to be outstanding sort of top end championship quality. That is what is going to keep us up. That's why we beat Norwich 6-2, it's why we beat Blackburn 3-0, it's because we've got those players who can make that difference. And I think we're just going to have to get cannier about the balance 
going forward and leaving something in reserve if it continues to be the case that we're going behind in games and we're struggling to get back into them. That will come, I think. But I, I just don't... I think I think it's just... A, I think what you're saying is just a complete fallacy, basically. All that may be a very fair point about changing later in the season and about, yes, having that quality helps to beat Norwich 6-2. I, I agree with that. But all, I, all I'm saying is that when you sort of laugh to oh, how could you possibly say this when there's only a 6 out of 10 or, or even only a 7, I think that's why. It's just because we, we don't have that. But yes, even if we did say, you know, if Callum Wright was fully fit, say we, we brought in Callum Wright for Whitaker and, and Cundall for Azaz and the rest of it was, uh, you know, has changed with, with Whitaker and Azaz to come off the bench. Yes, that would, would would be a lot more depth, but I, but I still think even then, you know, the, the the gap between the two wouldn't be as great. And I think if anything is to be addressed in January, and I think we do have the funds to address it because we clearly would have had the funds to sign this mysterious striker that was so heavily hinted at if he'd become available. Clearly, the deal didn't happen for whatever reason. But if the funds are available, and I think there's enough evidence that they are, we absolutely need to address the lack of depth in January. Because I think if anything, and I'm not saying we're going to go down, but if anything is going to send us down, it's going to be that, in my opinion. Anyway, in the words of Arsenal Fan TV's Lee Judges, he's done it again. I forgot to mention uh, Twitter users' uh, reviews of the game. Joe Moore says, frustrating, too many off the usual standards, sloppy in the final third. Thought we might have gone with Butch in a three and kept the shape going if Maka wasn't fit. Saturday is now very important before the break. Uh, Brendan Bassett basically highlights what you said earlier, uh, Dan, in that he felt that, that overall it was a masterclass in defending by Millwall. They made it all about the first goal. I'm not reading Jack Leslie's again. Uh, not He's not getting three in one pod. Uh, Paul Burke says, out-muscled and out-shithoused. Uh, ref played into their hands, but we didn't do enough to win the game. Felt like one of those League One games where we sank down to the level of the opposition. Do we need a plan B for matches like these? And will we ever have another? Uh, and do we have enough other options for that? I think we've covered that, so we don't need to get back into that debate. Um, let's all do um, our finest Joe Bell impressions then. Uh, ref watch. Right, can I just start that whole segment again? Because I think I feel like I got so totally confused and this is not going to have a clue what's going on. So I yeah, think three... but my only okay. ever input of note of the fact that that's not a pen gets cut out. But sure, crack on. Sorry. I... Anyway, yes, you got better world. So let's just start ref watch completely again, if that's okay. Uh, the referee had two very big decisions, uh, both of which I think he got wrong. Uh, Finn's ad for me was very clearly clicked, uh, which should have hey, been that's a never, That's never a penalty, mate. Never. Going back to... Um, Dan has a very good reason, I think, why he believes it wasn't given, which I'm sure I, I won't take the spotlight off him, I'll let him say, but I think it's a fair it's a fair comment when he comes to it. Um, I think he's very clean, uh, tripped from behind illegally, and he goes down. Penalty should have should have absolutely been given, in my opinion. I didn't think so at the time, but looking back, I think it is absolutely a penalty kick. Um, the second um, the second one was the um, Kessler Hayden um, incident for the second goal. Um, I sit in block one, so it was both down the other end of the pitch to me and the other side of the pitch, so I didn't have the best view at all. It looked to me like he was just a bit weaker than the player, that he was maybe just slightly, you know, led with, the, the Millwall player led with his arms slightly, but not to the extent of it being too bad. Uh, and, um, and yeah, he, he gets dispossessed and, and they go and score. Seeing it again, it, it is just one of the most absolutely inept, um, comical bits of refereeing you'll ever see. I think even in rugby, that, that might be a red card. Um, never mind in football. Um, he absolutely clobbers him in the face without needing to. It wasn't like a situation whereby 
it was in the air and, you know, you always jump with your arms up and, and, and he's just caught him a bit, unfortunately. It wasn't anything like that. It was, it was completely reckless, um, completely over-aggressive. He goes storming in with his arm. And by, by the way, if I'm a Millwall fan, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm going to be furious at my team's player for doing that when you won the lap in the last minute because it was a brainless thing to do. The fact that it played out in their favour is, is irrespective because that's just a refereeing error. But it's, Inept uh, to, be, to be fair, to be fair, I did see the footage. You were in the ground, but I did see from the footage in the way and that when the when the ball went in for the second, they all sat with their hands under their bums on their seats, shaking their heads and, and tutting, as as uh, Millwall fans are known to do. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um... A great model, a great model of, uh, of sportsmanship. You have to respect that. But yeah, thank you for that, John. Um, but he goes, he just goes flying in with his elbow, um, catches him square in the face, knocks him down, gets the ball off him. I think it should not only be a free kick, but also a red card. So that's two big decisions that have gone against us. Um, the penalty being the main one, I think we clearly should have had a penalty. The second one being um, that, and I know that that was late in the game, so we probably wouldn't have, but you never know. We would have had the chance to get one more big boot up the pitch. You know, 11 against 10 could have outnumbered in the box. Who knows? Uh, and we certainly wouldn't have conceded in the second. So, yeah, two, as much as it wasn't a good night for us performance-wise, we can take some solace in the fact that two pretty shocking decisions went against us. And if they'd gone our favour or if even only one of them had gone our favour, that could have could have made a, a, a big difference to the outcome. So, and that aside, just lots of poor, silly little decisions, lots of, Fouls not given that should have been given, a couple of fouls that that were given that should not have been given. So some in reverse and um just just a, a bad night all round. Didn't stamp down on their gamesmanship quickly enough. He did eventually to give him some credit. But uh, I'm always uh, you know what I've always been a little bit mm, about the concept of, of, of ref watching all series because I I've, I've always wanted to try and make the point that refs do a, a very difficult, difficult job. It's such a high-paced game. Um, and it's such a difficult job to do, but when you just see complete rank inadequacy, like like that one for the, the for the second, and I, I would question the assistant referee on the Linda slide as well because how he's not had a clear view of that, I've got no idea. It's just a shocking, um, you know, joke decision um, that it wasn't even given a free kick, and I, I strongly feel it should have been a red card. I actually disagree with Sam on on both incidents. I don't think the Azaz one is a penalty. I think he trips over his own feet. And I don't think the Millwall one is a foul, but that's because I think that one was GBH, to be fair. You had me, you had me about to explode there, John, saying that you disagreed <laughs> on that one. Very good. No, it's, uh, it's, it's actually, it's genuinely, it's one of the worst refereeing decisions I've ever seen at Home Park in my time as an Argyle fan without, without hyperbole having had 24 hours or so to reflect on it. It is an embarrassment of a decision. And, and, even, and even though, as you say, it was late on in the game, there should be an apology for that forthcoming from from the um, referees association because that is an, a woeful decision. Uh, but the Azaz one, in all seriousness, Frank Lampard face on. Uh, I I don't think it's a penalty. I was screaming for it in the living room in real time, but on seeing the replay, I don't think it is. That's funny because seeing the replay is what changed me from thinking it wasn't the one. So we were clearly gone totally opposite way. No, he definitely falls over his own feet. As for the Kane Kester Hayden one. The more I watch it, the more I laugh, actually. Um, but look, to be honest, there, I'm a very bad, very bad Sunday league, not even Sunday league standard fullback. You just put that down the line. There's seconds left. I'm not excusing the challenge at all. But why are you turning into like your own box with you know, the three men there lurking? Nah, just get that down the line. There's seconds left to try and get an equaliser. 
stop pissing about with it. Anyway, but then again, maybe he learned from the Whitaker, the Whitaker ball, where he's trying to play an absolute world-class ball down the line, and they've scored from that as well. So um, you may want to come back and edit this in, Aaron, if, if you think it's worth it. You may not, but Dan, you didn't give your view on the penalty and your reason why you think the rest didn't give it. I feel that would be quite interesting. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, well, yeah. Try and try and edit this in, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. My my point on on the Azaz uh, penalty shout was that, and I'm fully aware of the fact that you know the the kind of common consensus does seem to be that it wasn't a penalty from from most people. Um, I thought it was. Um, I thought he was tripped rather than being tripped over by someone else. I think there is contact either way, but whether it is or whether it isn't a penalty, I think he was he would have been far more likely to have won it if he'd just gone straight down. He kind of went down in stages, didn't he? Like kind of maybe stumbled, tried to stay on his feet and then went just, just kind of went down. And, you know, again, not to stick the knife in on referees too much, you know, they do a difficult job, but we do see it a lot, don't we? Where, you know, if, if you kind of hit the ground sack of spuds straight away, you'll get given a free kick. And if you try and stay on your feet, uh, or if you go down in the stages, they won't give them. Yeah, like I say, whether it was a penalty or not, I think if he had just gone straight down after the initial contact, we might we might well have won it, especially with that refereeing performance. Yeah, I haven't seen it again, Dan. Do you still stand by your view that it was a penalty in your opinion? I haven't actually seen it back. I was watching it on the uh, Sky Red button, uh, which didn't have replays, so I haven't actually seen a replay of it yet. But it'll be interesting oh, to see enough. if... Um, if um, Charlie's excellent uh, match day moments will have uh, picked up a better angle for it. How was the commentary for the Sky Red button? I did a big, uh, a very long in-depth conversation with Andy, the, the commentator who was doing his uh, commentary debut on, on Argos game. Was our knowledge put to good use? Yeah, well, it's, it was, you know, just, just kind of pretty standard um, commentary. I don't know if it was, I, I best not say lack of, no, I'm sure it wasn't the TV because you know um, that, as Sam will testify, that TV is is pretty pretty good. So I doubt it was that. But the picture quality wasn't amazing, um, and they didn't really have like camera angles or replays or anything. So you know, it, from a viewing point of view, it, it doesn't kind of stack up to um, Argyle TV in that respect. But yeah, it was you know the the commentary is fine. Yeah, like you know sometimes I think you kind of see you kind of know when some commentators are kind of unprepared and it's obvious and it can tell, but you know, that, that wasn't the case last night. Well, that's good to hear. Argyle TV better than Sky. You heard it here first. Let's just preview Swansea then. I think that's been all done. John, how do you see this one going against super Michael Duffy? Yeah. As I alluded to a minute ago, once again, we're playing a team seems to be our curse this season and last to play teams when they're on an upswing in form. Uh, Swansea have won as we're recording on Wednesday night, they've won again tonight, beating Norwich at home. Uh, so that's three wins on the bounce for them after an absolutely woeful start to the season when they looked like they were falling apart. How uh, does the maths work on that one? Obviously, we beat Norwich 6-2. They are doubly as good, is that a phrase, as Norwich. Does that mean a 3-1 win for us instead? Well, yeah, it depends if you go with uh, ratio of, of goals or the mathematical margin, doesn't it? But let's not get into that. That that being said, I find Swansea a little bit of a hard one to judge just because I haven't actually seen a lot of them at like a full 90-minute length this season. In fact, actually, I think I've watched any of their games. Um, and obviously, they're coming off the back of being managed by Russell Martin, who we all know is a possession zealot and had a very, very defined style. Duff is a very different manager who we know about from last season, of course, but who is obviously 
taking his time to sort of get his feet under the desk there. And, and so it's a little bit of a mystery to me exactly how they're going to play under him. But um, you know, if one reason or another have found their stride in the last few games, so I think it's going to be a difficult game. Um, I'm inclined to attribute last night, as we've spoken about at length, to our defensive, uh, to their defensive excellence. Um, I can't see Swansea being that miserly. I think that we will create much better chances than that than we did last night against almost every team in this league, up to and including the kind of Leicesters and and Leeds's of the league. Um, even if they they then go and score three or four goals against us, the fact that I don't think Swansea are that good uh, compared to those other teams means. I think this will be a game that I anticipate will be back to the kind of style of quite end to end, quite open. I think if we turn up, um, we've got every chance of every chance of winning it. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling optimistic about it, but obviously a little more circumspect than maybe I would have done if we played them two weeks ago when they were, you know, off the back of an absolutely honking run of form and were booing off Duff. But yeah, obviously there have been a lot of games this season where they haven't picked up points, and and there'll be stuff to learn from there. I think for us to um, hopefully try and exploit. Anything to worry about at the weekend, Dan? It would be a bit of a worry if we uh, lost this one as well and, and went into the international break on, you know, 11 points from 11 games. It seems like we've done so much good work to this point this season. So to kind of go into the second international break only being on a point again would be a bit a bit miffing, you know. Um, so hopefully we get something out of the game. I think it will be fascinating to see how Whitaker does against against his old lot. I would be tempted to. I'd be tempted to play him. It might sound a bit odd, and especially with all the chat about him, you know, let's try and get him more centrally. I just think if we maybe stick him out wide and try and drag a few Swansea players towards it, they're going to be focused on him. I'd be pretty sure. They will, as Preston did noticeably, like try kind of cut off the the supply to him. I would suspect that Swansea will do the same. You know, Michael Duff will have seen a bit of him last season, and and I I just think they will they will look at him how he normally plays, not how we played on in the Millwall game, and and let's let's see if we can you know play him in a position where. You know, we, he can drag a few opposition players out and create space centrally for others. I'd be, I'd be keen to give that a go. So, you know, maybe if that means, you know, we play three four three and and stick him in one of the centre attacking mid rolls, but let him drift, let him drift out wide, let him drag players around. Um, that's going to be a, a, a key battle. Who, whichever player, you know, if they go zonally or, or put a man right on him, um, that will be a key battle. Um, and I'm, I'm expecting. I'm expecting Morgan to be up for it. You know, I, th- I think he'll he'll want to bounce back from his poor performance against Millwall, and I back him to do that. So it'll be it'll be a good watch. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I jumped on with um, Swans Cast earlier, um, and they asked me to pick out who I thought would be most dangerous from them. And I've obviously highlighted Matt Grimes and Josh Key to have a. Jay Stansfield style appearance against us, and and the the minutes I caught earlier of uh, Swansea Norwich, they both looked pretty good tonight as well. So you didn't you didn't pick uh, Charlie Patino. We we spoke about Patino, but um, no, I didn't. Uh, Sam, let, let's finish on two Twitter questions. Sam uh, Finn Sodergren asks. Does Bundu deserve a start next game? He's looked impressive when he's been coming on. Do you see Bundu against the Swans? Um, not really, no. Um, 
I think he has looked impressive in 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 phases, but I've um mostly in the Norwich game really. I don't think he was particularly good yesterday. He was he was you know wasn't bad, but I don't think he did anything to to really advance our chance of scoring. Didn't really get us into any dangerous positions. Didn't look like he could just have that route one effect that maybe we hoped by bringing him on of just getting his shoulders down and sort of bursting past the player. Um, I think he he will have a usage, and I think he will be a handy player to have off the bench. I, I wouldn't be wanting to start him yet, really. Um, I'd be maybe keeping him as a bit of a wrecking ball from the bench. I think there's maybe an argument for bringing him on earlier. And I think if you're having him in the 3-4-3 three, three system, which again, I've been very vocal and saying he should play, you could, have, you could maybe have him as a wide forward. But I think at the minute, you, you still start Hardy. Incidentally, Hardy, after the amazing start, has now gone um, four games have had a goal. Yeah, for Bristol City, Norwich, somehow he didn't score in 6-2, Hull and now Millwall. So I hope it's not, I hope, it, I hope four doesn't become five or six, seven. I hope it's not one of the sort of long, streaky runs of Ryan Hardy not scoring that we often can get. Um, so hopefully he, he can get a goal and I think I would give him at least one more game of starting. And then it's the international break, so I'd probably give him at least one more after that. So I'd probably give him at least two more games of starting before rotating him out just to, you know, just to um, help him break that streak. Um, because I still think he's been playing fairly well. I think the first half, yeah, yeah last night in particular, he was excellent. Second half, he was quite a bit worse, but then they were all quite a bit worse. Second half, second half was just poor yesterday. So I still would keep playing Ryan Hardy. I think Bundu has a part to play, um, but I um, don't think yet it is as a starter. Or if it is as a starter, it would be um, alongside Hardy rather than instead of him, I think. Yeah, we didn't cover much of Bundu coming on at Hull, but the one thing I noticed that he absolutely loves to smash a pass. He's very heavy on the old um, simple balls. At Hull, again, lively, had some, had, some, had some good moments at Hull, to be fair to him. But again, uh, the, the, the one time I've seen him have, have really good end product was that, that cutting ball for, well, sorry, the, the two great passes against Norwich, one of which led to led to an instead. That aside, um, yeah, some good build-up play, but um, not great off the bench last night. And I certainly don't think he was good enough last night to, to reward him with a starting moment. Yeah, he's also he also gave away a shirt to a man with a Sierra Leone flag. So if you want a match worn Bundu shirt, you know what to do. No, no moose in the Swan House then for Sam. Whatever, don't get that reference. And last last question: fox, fox in the fox in the hen house reference. We'll we'll finish on a light one. Um, Jay asks this question every week, so I'm just going to ask it: What has everybody had for tea? And we'll finish on that. I had um, chips and two um, pies from Asda because of my me at my uh, housemate who also did the walk for me yesterday. Um, really um, could not be bothered cooking anything um, remotely substantial and quite quite rightly so after after the, the uh, walk yesterday. And he he worked today. I did not. So just stuff some pies and some chips in the oven, and, and we had that. I'll be honest, we've actually had it on eating the podcast, uh, eating whilst doing the podcast. And that's very bad, but. Uh, when John, when John and Dan were rambling on, I was eating my pie and chips. So there we have it. John, we'll come to you next because Dan's got a very uh, interesting tea. Uh, so the secrets. A uh, secret. Okay. And Dan, last but not least, uh, just pasta, and then followed by some birthday cake. You know, I was um, in true Yaya Torre style. I uh, demanded that I had a birthday cake and was going to throw a massive strop if I didn't. So I had one, and it was lovely. Oh. That's that's less impressive. I thought you just had birthday. I think we'll call that a night. Cheers, guys.
Cheers, mate. Cheers, all. Thank you, That's the end of another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Before you go, please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using and make sure you follow us on Twitter at Argyle Life 1886. Cheers. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.